The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. The centennial of the Civil War in 1961 was marked in part by the debut of Civil War Times Illustrated, the classic popular magazine on the wartime era. Now it's 2013, we're in the midst of the sesquicentennial, And it's time for a new magazine and a new medium. We'll talk today with Terry Johnston, editor of the Civil War Monitor magazine, website, and multimedia conglomerate. That's today on Civil War Talk Radio. on Twitter at World Talk Radio. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina part of the UNC system, but not representing the system or general administration or anyone else, just myself. My guest, likewise, will speak only for himself today on a beautiful, pleasant Friday afternoon in 2013. It's the first Friday in May, May 5th or 4th or some day like that. Let's look at the calendar. May 3rd, May 3rd, 2013. It's the end of the academic year here, or close to it, at East Carolina University. Students are taking their final exams. Tension is thick in the air. Also pollen, lots of yellow pollen everywhere. Not as much as a few weeks ago when it covers everything in a fine dusting. And then when it rains, the water rolls. looks like melted butter coming off the roof because it's this deep yellow color from the pollen everywhere. It's quite dramatic for those of us not raised in this part of the country. Uh, And it's quite dramatic for those not raised in this part of the country to see uh, North Carolina, the old North State, gradually turning more and more into Mississippi East uh, in, in a 
way that uh, affects those of us in higher education. The state legislature's latest brainstorm is a bill to allow uh, concealed weapons on campus because if there's anybody who ought to be carrying a gun, it's a student with lots of pressure from finals and hormones from a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend and plenty of alcohol. Um, I'll certainly feel safer knowing that that person has a concealed weapon. Uh, and, of course, uh, my colleagues, uh, whom, as I mentioned on this show last week, I get to evaluate once a year, a very awkward and uh, dislikable part of the department chair's duties to evaluate one's own peers. Uh, I don't want them coming armed to campus, I'll tell you that. Um, and I don't plan to. I don't plan to defend myself Wild West style in the halls as if that would be a good idea for anyone. But that's what they're doing while cutting the budget. Um, at the same time, we'll have fewer faculty next year. But you didn't tune in this show to hear what's going off-center in uh, higher education here in North Carolina. Rather, you are here to hear about the Civil War, and we have plenty to talk about besides our guest today. Uh, we will take a break next week. There will not be a live show because of commencement. They're the happy side of higher education uh, gives us a chance to see our seniors graduating and uh, heading out into the world. But we'll be back on May 17th, the following week, with uh, Chris Makowski. Uh, he'll be talking about his book on the Battle of Fredericksburg. He's co-author of that book and several others. And we'll, we'll have his co-author, Christopher White, on perhaps in the fall, if we can arrange that. Uh, Still scheduling May 24th, May 31st, Jonathan Wells from Temple University will join us. He's author of a uh, <clears throat> book called A House Divided, The Civil War in 19th Century America. It's really aimed at a college audience, uh, textbook style, and we'll talk about the uh, challenges of presenting the Civil War to the youth of America today. On June 7th, Megan Kate Nelson will be here, her current book is called Ruin Nation. It's about destruction in the American Civil War, environmental history of the war, one might say, uh, promises to take a new look at a familiar topic. Uh, on June 14th, again, no live show, but I will be talking Civil War all day, somewhere in Virginia that day, as part of Matterhorn's travel uh, Matterhorn Travel's uh, tour called This Hallowed Ground. It's from June 9th to June 16th. If you're interested and have the time and funds to do it, contact Matterhorn Travel and get on their list and get yourself a ticket. I believe the format will have us based in Northern Virginia and traveling on luxurious motor coaches uh, to one battlefield after another. And you'll get to hear me talk about them. I'll get to hear you if you're a guest on the trip, uh, talk about them. It should be very interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so that's where uh, where I'll be, unfortunately, away from the show, though, on June 14th. And on June 21st, we will wrap up the academic year season with Jake Borat, a filmmaker from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, working on a film called The Gettysburg Story. And if all goes well, uh, we'll also be joined by his father, uh, Gabor Borat, a uh, legendary Director Emeritus of the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College, author of the Gettysburg Gospel and other books, and uh, it'll be 
very good if we can get uh, get both of them on, hopefully. So that's our plan for uh, the rest of this month and next, and that'll get us into the summer break when I will be traveling various places and looking for new authors and new uh, filmmakers, musicians, artists, uh, reenactors, anybody with a, a line to share about the Civil War. And if you know anyone, please uh, send them to me. Uh, send an email to me at East Carolina University, and I'm happy to take your suggestions and add them to the list. Uh, we will. I'm already looking at the fall schedule. I have some good guests for that. Uh, Lou Major will open in at the end of August. Uh, uh, an old uh, colleague of mine from uh, many years ago, uh, and uh, we'll have lots of interesting things ahead. That's I'll just say that to keep track of all this, check out the coolest thing ever uh, on the internet. The uh, website www.impedimentsofwar.org where Mark Gaffney will keep you up to date on what's going on and where you can contribute to Civil War Talk Radio with uh, the PayPal donation button there. CivilWarTR at AOL.com is the address. And I'm happy to send you a copy of a book, uh, one that I've written, or ask for one off my shelf. I'll just pull one out and send it to you. Uh, if I can spare that uh, for a donation of $25 or more. And it helps fund the books that we purchase, uh, that I purchase for the show. But it's not a tax-deductible contribution because it also helps me buy whatever I want. Uh, for example, fast food on the way home last night from the season's final soccer match for the J.H. Rose Rampants, J.H. Rose High School Rampants uh, women's soccer team. Uh, my daughter and her teammates finished out uh, with a hard-fought match against a rival team from New Bern, which we managed to tie in the second half uh, on an excellent goal, brought it one-to-one to the end of regular time. But we went into overtime, and uh, fatigue told, and the girls lost uh, ultimately 3-1. to one, But had a, a wonderful season, and it really was great to see, uh, see them playing... Uh, playing together so well and uh, one more year of that uh, for you to listen to as I tell you about uh, uh, J.H. Rose soccer longtime listeners to the show or anyone who wants to download uh, podcasts from early uh, in, in the history of Civil War talk radio will get to hear about the days of the Greenville Stars the youth soccer team that uh, each of my daughters uh, played on at one time and uh, that I had the excitement of coaching at one time uh, and there were many great moments here on Civil War Talk Radio shared with listeners until eventually listeners began to complain or at least one of them did uh, that he didn't want to hear about soccer uh, he wanted to hear about the Civil War I told him he could get his own show then and talk whatever he wanted talk about whatever he wanted to but we do want to hear about the Civil War so let's get back to that uh, that is our our topic today and uh our guest, who I hope will take over the talking, because I'm hoarse from shouting at the girls, uh, shouting encouragement at them, and uh, last night, and encouragement at the uh, the referee who, who required my my sage counsel from the sidelines, uh, leaves me almost voiceless. So, uh, welcome to the show, uh, the editor of the Civil War Monitor, Terry Johnston. Uh, Terry, are you there? 
I'm I'm here, Jerry. Yes, uh, and, uh. and I I would urge you to continue your discussion of the soccer uh, match. It seems like uh, it was a real real good one. Well, it was it was a great season. It was really fun to see how well the girls did, and 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 uh, how much their coaches seem to have learned since the past year. They really did. Uh, well, since you asked, they played a absolutely bizarre looking four four two formation in which they overshifted to the right or left. So the right back was playing on the left half of the field if the ball was over there. And every team would have one of their forwards flanked out 30 yards beyond our last defender off by the sideline all by herself waiting for the ball. And all the fans are yelling, hey, she's behind you. Get that open player. And the girls were told, ignore the open player. Just play on the side where where it was. And we'll, we'll overshift back when it comes that way. And sure enough, the other team never scored with by by trying to cross it to the open player. They couldn't get it over fast enough before huh. girls could react. Uh, it looked awful. It looked unconventional and unacceptable uh, to me as a coach, but it worked, and so I was quite impressed. Well, that's, that's what list- counts, right? So. It does. Our listeners now are screaming with with rage. Let's get back to the 1860s. So, okay. Uh, let's talk. Um, uh, well, let, let's start start with you. Our, our I'm sure many listeners have picked up a copy of the Civil War Monitor by this time or have seen uh, the website, but you are not uh, a big presence in it. Your picture is not uh, splashed throughout, for example. Uh, so uh, who are you and where do you come from? Uh, to, to, to tell, us, tell us your background. Well, it's, it's not very exciting, Jerry. Uh, I'm, I'm currently in New Jersey, which is where I grew up and after living up and down the East Coast for, for many years, I've been back here for several in, in the Atlantic City area down on the coast. Um, um, and I've been involved in one way or the other with the Civil War, it seems, since I was a kid. I, I, I caught the bug early, um, reading all kinds of books when I could. The first I, I recall was a children's book, a part of a series called Meet Abraham Lincoln. I was probably in the second grade and just... That was, that was basically it, and went on uh, to college, studied history, uh, got my master's at Clemson University in history, um, and have had my foot in and out of the doctoral program in history, working for my Ph.D. I, I've been ABD for several years, and embarrassingly um, many years, I guess I should say. Uh, but I've also at the same time um, been involved, as you know, with uh, Civil War magazines. I... I about a decade ago, maybe even a little bit more, uh, was on this editorial staff of the magazine uh, called North and South, um, and uh, did that for many years as well. And, and that's really where um, I, have, I have no formal background, in other words, in publishing or, or editing or the like. But that's really where I, I cut my teeth um, and learned that part of uh, part of things. How, how did you get connected with North and South? Um, you know that's a really good question. I, I was I was still at the time, um, or I should say, I was just done with my master's and I was revising it for publication, and that's something that happened in the late '90s. And uh, Keith Poulter, who's the publisher editor of North and South, the founder, um, put it on the wire. I suppose that he was looking for editorial assistant, and uh, it was. Um, I think it was a Pat Brennan. I'm not sure that's a name you know. He's uh, a music uh, producer uh, by trade, but he's also a really uh, good Civil War historian. He did an excellent book. Um, Secessionville? Secession, that's, that's correct, yeah, that's and right. other yeah. things. And 
And, and he, um, again, as far as I remember, he's the one who put um, Keith in touch with me or vice versa. And uh, that, that's really how it started. And, and I just got more and more involved um, in North and South as the years went by, uh, starting as a assistant editor and then my last two years of involvement actually as lead editor. So uh, that magazine is still extant. Keith was on the show uh, a number of years ago, and I've, mm-hmm. I've known him for uh, a while through that production. Right. Um, did that, uh, well, laying things on the line, it always struck me that that was a, a remarkable accomplishment on his part that the magazine looked then and continues to look as professional as it does uh, while being operated more or less on a shoestring. Is, right. is that an accurate perception? Well, I, I'll tell you what, I, I think the 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 brilliance of Keith Poulter, um, if that's the right word, with North and South, is is the vision he had. Um, the, the, the vision that really sort of caused him to, to launch the magazine, and that was that there was a there was not only room for but a need for, uh, editorially speaking, again, a publication that bridged the gap between uh, scholarly history publications and at the time what was uh, the popular uh, publication world. If you were looking at the spectrum, if to exaggerate to sort of make this point, on the one hand, on the scholarly end, um, it might be the stuffy, right, publications that are, by and large, especially when we're talking about uh, journals written for other scholars, and on the other end, again, to exaggerate, it might be the fluffy, forgettable, um, overly sentimental, popular history that uh, characterized um, many of the other magazines at the time. So, in that regard, absolutely. I think Keith had a great editorial idea. It's one that I embraced and 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 hope in small some small way helped uh, forward during my years there. And it's it's basically um, the the editorial philosophy I've I guess I like to say I, I'm trying to do it you know, that two, version two with the monitor um, in a way. Well, that is an interesting uh, thought about the spectrum. Let, let's take a short break and come back and talk about. Uh, where the Civil War monitor fits in to that, uh, uh, that spectrum and other things. Uh, our guest today is Terry Johnston. He's the editor of the Civil War monitor magazine and website. I'm Jerry Prokopovich and this is Civil War Talk Radio. have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take world talk radio on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market step up to the microphone view the finalists right now on voiceamericakids.tv america's next great star is waiting to be discovered Step Up to the Microphone is an exclusive presentation for VoiceAmerica.tv, where you can see and hear America's next top child star. The program is hosted by Voice America's own Cassie Frazier, and new episodes will be available every week exclusively at VoiceAmericaKids.tv. You can say you saw them at the beginning of their superstar career. Tune in to VoiceAmericaKids.tv. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. I'm talking today with Terry Johnston, editor of the Civil War Monitor, 
magazine and associated website. Uh, we've been talking in the first segment about the the role of Civil War magazines generally. Uh, Terry, you made the interesting point that there is a spectrum uh, from at one end the the popular magazines that uh, well will as you said have romanticized uh, uh, sort of superficial popular history stories. Uh, I won't call anyone out by name, but uh, our, our listeners all have seen some of those on the shelves at Barnes and Noble or elsewhere. Uh, and then as you move further along, and I've written for some of them, they, okay. they have they have their role. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, uh, at the other end, you have the academic journals, uh, Civil War History from Kent State or the New Journal of the Civil War Era at Penn State, which have a different role entirely. They're, they're not illustrated. They're not for fun. They are professional journals for academic historians, and you read them to see what's going on uh, at the cutting edge but uh, uh, for intellectual simulation. But, but th- there's... They're not always fun. Uh, and in between, uh, as you said, Keith Poulter saw a need for a popular magazine, uh, a magazine readily available, interesting to look at, uh, but with articles that had some something more substantial. Uh, there were other magazines that tried that. Uh, I recall one called Columbia. That's that's uh, right. Yeah, and that that had more. That was an interesting publication. I, I uh, remember. They had more of the look and feel of the journal still. Um, it was a shorter, thicker. I don't even think it was sold on the newsstand, although I could be wrong about that. Uh, so it was, in a sense, a journal that, uh, by, by outward appearances and inside, the content was much more uh, driven for a broader audience. Uh, and that, that didn't last. No, well, it certainly didn't last. Um, I think it probably was around for, and I don't know this for sure, I'm guessing about three three or four years, give or take. Um, and there have been others. Ted Savis had a great uh, journal called Civil War Regiments uh, that, that mm-hmm. lasted for probably about the same time, although maybe a little bit longer. That was focused, as I recall, more uh, on uh, military history. Um, again, another attempt to, as I recall, um, breach that gap, you know, to, to occupy that middle ground between the, the journal or the, the hard scholarship and and uh, the popular audience. So, so what what distinguishes articles in the Civil War Monitor from those in uh, a magazine like Blue and Gray? Well, well, Blue and Gray's um, Blue and Gray, I think, does what it does very well. I mean, in, in yes. a way, it's almost a different animal, right? Uh, they they focus um, on a single locale or event and, and dedicate. It's almost like every issue is a special issue. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what we're doing more is is more as you might see in a more general magazine where, well, let me say let me say this way, how we try to differentiate ourselves from, and not just picking on blue and gray, but just in general the civil other mm-hmm. civil magazines is, I think what you'll find with us is that uh, our articles, our features tend to be a little bit longer than you're going to find in the other magazines. Um, they are endnoted, um, much like the North and South articles. Um, uh, were or, or probably still are, mm-hmm. and but we also mix in a lot of lighter fare. So what we're trying to do editorial it, it, or editorially is to is to appeal to that middle ground, but to do it in a way that's not being done by the other publications. Um, 
in the broadest in the broadest sense. What what kind of feedback are you getting from the Civil War community? Uh, so far, I, I I can tell you no lies. I mean, it, it's been positive. It really has. We're we're doing pretty darn well, and um, it's been interesting because. And, and this is where uh, our digital presence um, helps us a lot, is we're getting a lot of feedback from social media and comment sections on the websites as to what people want to see, what people like and dislike uh, of what they've already been seeing. And it does really help us pivot and, and, and think where we might go in the future, uh, in the short and long term. So, but, but generally, it really has been positive. It's, it's really been great so far. Well, you mentioned the, the digital aspect, and, and every magazine today has an affiliated website. Every newspaper does. And right. We're in a, a you know plastic moment when we don't know where what things will look like in five years or ten right. years, right. Uh, whether we will have paper newspapers or magazines the way we do today. Uh, how how do you see? You know, talk about the the website and social media presence of Civil War Monitor. Yeah, it's it's a exciting and sort of daunting place we're in right now, isn't it? Um, where uh, the economy is still hurting. Uh, you would think that maybe not the, not the sp- smartest idea to launch a, uh, a new business during this time and, and a magazine at that. As you say, uh, there are a lot of um, Opinions out there that print is dying, uh, especially in newspapers, and that the future is on the screen. And that's really something that we grappled with when we were thinking about launching the monitor. And that this goes back to say 2010. And we launched uh, in the summer of 2011. And like I said, this was an idea in my head ever since I parted ways with North and South. I think that was in 2007. And knowing that the centennial was coming up, and there might be an opportunity for an uptick in in readership and audience, and we we actually for a time thought about going in all digital, um, not even having a print magazine. And um, there were, seemed to be a lot of pros. Again, maybe capturing the new audience, um, hearing all these stories about print dying, uh, utilizing new technologies uh, at, at much lower cost. It, it, to, to produce a magazine, obviously, you have to print it, and that's really the, the main cost, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a big one. So eliminating that, and we really were thinking about it, but there were cons as well. And going back, um, looking back now at 2010, we're glad we went with the print route as well. Uh, at the time, you were hearing a lot of buzz and rumors and scuttlebutt about all of these big digitally-based things that people were going to be doing Civil War-wise during the sesquicentennial, um, a lot of them haven't really come up. I mean, I, I would hear stories about big New York design firms who were going to do pro bono work for you know, fill-in-the-blank organization, doing these huge digital interactive maps and, and uh, smartphone apps and, and you name it. And there was um, a big uptick, um, especially right after the, the Sumter anniversary happened. A lot of blogs, some of which have died. Uh, there are some, still some big ones doing great work, like the New York Times Disunion blog. But mm-hmm. again, at the time, we were worried about, you know, the little voice in our head was saying, we don't want to be crowded out. We go in all digital. You don't have a presence in print. That could be a really problem. And really, we've always wanted to keep printed hard. Um, there's there's a, a sort of permanence to the actual um, you know, holding a copy in your hand, um, 
thing. And, and, and thinking about our audience, too, is it was one thing to talk about maybe capturing people who were, uh, might come new to the Civil War during the sexual centennial who might tend to be younger. But if you consider, as you all know, the established, quote-unquote, Civil War readership, they tend to be you know, of median age, a little bit older, and uh, maybe less, less likely to want to read things on the screen. So we, we really came around to thinking we've got to do both. Let's, let's do both. Let's be flexible um, and, and put, us, put ourselves in a position where we can pivot as need be um, going forward. As you say, who knows what things are going to be like in five years, um, what's going to be the hot technology um, and, and the like. So, so that, that was really our idea coming in to to, to cover uh, as many bases as we could and to um, have the attitude of being flexible going forward. Well, the the decision to go in print certainly is is satisfying to uh, old-timers who like the, the ability to heft a printed magazine and uh, carry it to various places where you might not want to risk your tablet or reader. Right. Uh, but uh, the well, there are two two things come to mind. Uh, the first one is is how do you uh, how do you monetize a a web presence if that's the only thing you do? Is advertising sufficient to to carry something like this forward? No, and, and that that was another argument for going print as well. Um, now, I, I say no as the Civil War Monitor. If you're the New York Times or uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal, there there are probably ways to to do a lot better, but even even they, even the biggest of big companies, you hear, you hear about they've been grappling with um, what to do with paywalls. That they're finding all of this advertising leaving print, and at one time, maybe three or four years ago, they were thinking, oh, well, we'll make it up on the on the website. It hasn't happened. I, I mm-hmm. I've seen different bar charts where you, where maybe a ten percent, a fraction of of what these big uh, companies have lost in print advertising they've made back on the web. So it looks like that's a dead end, and especially for a small company like Guts. You, you, can't, you can't rely on that. And uh, so, so we look at our web presence as it, it, it's certainly it's a, it's a vitally important part of the venture. It's, we, you know, we look at the two wings, basically, of, of a print wing and, and the, the digital wing, and having them do their own things, but... Under under the same banner, uh, so you know we we could not uh, sustain this solely. I don't think at this stage um, as a, as a web only uh, um, a venture. Is it, how similar is the content on the web and what what the reader gets if they buy the magazine? Well, it's similar in editorial philosophy. I mean, we don't, as you were alluding to before, we, a lot of small. I don't I don't just mean Civil War magazine websites, but a lot of small magazine websites are. I know, a little more really than glorified house ads, right? It's you go there, it's click here to subscribe, um, uh, about us, and they might repurpose um, in text-only form uh, articles that ran in their magazine in previous issues. And what we do at the Monitor website is uh, it's all unique content. You're not going to find it in the magazine. Now, we do have a digital edition of the print magazine that is viewable through our website, that is the only thing that's, I guess you would say, behind a paywall. That is something that you need to be a subscriber to the monitor to be able to view. As a convenience, it's great to have the archive and the back issues, easy to access. But everything else on the website is unique. Um, it's not in the magazine. Uh, we have several blogs, interview uh, series uh, called Behind the Lines, which um, 
really really pleased with uh, book reviews, um, a frontline blog that's more uh, analysis uh, by different historians writing on various topics. So yeah, it's great. It's, it gives us a way to to forward the editorial mission of the Monitor um, and and reach um, a wider audience really than we could in, by the print magazine alone. One of the issues that anyone faces writing about the Civil War, uh, but that you would face much more trying to reach a, a broad audience than, say, a scholar writing his or her own thesis would face, is is, is the politics. Right. And uh, certainly North and South always had the letters column where you had people writing in every issue that this Yankee rag is disgusting and I'm canceling my subscription. And there'd always right. be two or three others that you are so pro-Southern, we're not going to pay attention anymore. And and Keith's view was, you know, as long as he got some on each side, he must be doing something right. Uh, first of all, do you do you get that same kind of uh, passionate letters from, we'll call them the fringes on either side? Uh, do, do you believe there is any editorial slant to what you are producing or... or uh, how, how do you handle this whole issue? Well, we don't get the level of of that kind of feedback that we did back in the North and South days. And I remember it well. I mean, I'll never forget there was one time um, back in North and South where I got uh, when I was when I was the head editor. Within about two weeks, I had gotten two different letters: one from uh, someone writing from the North, and one from a Southern state. And they had each had the same problem about how could we, how dare we put the Northern was saying all the all the rebels on the covers all the time and the southerner the opposite and I went back I remember to the last five or six issues that we had published and literally every other cover we alternated Yankee and Rebel so I mean it just there there yes there there were irrational commentators we get a little bit of it now you're, you're never going to please everybody um, at the same time we don't want to. Um, Try to be controversial for the sake of being controversial. I mean, we're not afraid to, at least this is our philosophy, we're not afraid to publish articles that might potentially offend, whether it's an interpretation of a topic or the topic itself. Um, we just, we had debates. Uh, Kevin Levin, who I know has been on your show before, did a great article for us in our current issue, uh, which we call Confederate Like Me, on uh, the uh, African-American slaves who were brought to war by their masters, the camp servants in the Confederate Army. And you know, thinking, going in there, do we want to tackle black Confederates again? It's been done, and it's always going to, you know, it's always going to stir things up. And we thought, well, let's, let's do it, but do it in a different, by a different approach. Um, so, so yes, I, it's, it's something you have to be, be aware of constantly because, you know, we, we want to sell magazines, obviously. Um, but at the same time, we want to stay true to our our mission and and what we think good history is. And and if good history um, means uh, publishing things that might again provoke or be controversial, then so be it. Um, can't, can't be afraid of that. So how how do you select topics for the for the magazine? It's it's just something. Well, I mean, sometimes we'll have you'll hear about a, a, an author or historian who's writing on a particular subject, and you think, wow, that sounds interesting, let's pursue this, or um, you know, with uh, the recent, uh, or as I said, the lead article on a current issue, which you participated in on, on the Lincoln movie, it was just something that kind of, you know, someone had a light bulb moment and said, you know, let's, let's 
thinking about doing this in a different way, um, a different kind of coverage of what was being covered by a lot of people, uh, Civil War and non-Civil War publications alike. So it's, it's, a, it's always a combination of factors. And we, we get inspiration, I must say, from I mean, regularly from non-Civil War or non-history publications to see what you know, other publications are doing, how they're covering their own subjects. It's, it, it really does produce a lot of light bulb moments uh, constantly. So um, there's, there's really no one way um, or no common way that this happens. Well, I'd, you mentioned the uh, the current issue with the Lincoln movie uh, sort of combined review as, as the cover story, and I uh, did participate in that. So listeners are thinking this this entire uh, program is a, a commercial for my work here, which it is not. It's a commercial for yours. Well, but uh, neither, not that either. It really is uh, uh, a publication that I think most listeners, if, if they're not familiar with, uh, would certainly want to be. Uh, well, I. I but that article, uh, the Lincoln article, had other authors. Uh, you ask a number of people, uh, Peter Wood, who wrote Black Majority uh, right. many decades ago, uh, James Oakes, who has a new book uh, out on emancipation, right. uh, uh, Matt Pinsker uh, was in it, uh, Jason, Jason Emerson. Emerson. The, yeah. so, and all all these people have been on the show. Uh, they're, uh, not Peter Wood, actually, but uh, I think all the others have at some point. If not, I'll, I'll get to them. Right. And our... our People that have been heard from in the Civil War community, and that is true of many of the authors that you have throughout looking at the others in this issue. You mentioned uh, Kevin Levin, uh, Brooke Simpson. Uh, let's take another short break. I want to come back and ask you how how you round up authors uh, for this. So we'll talk about that and other things in just a moment when we return. Our guest today is Terry Johnston, editor of Civil War Monitor. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Terry Johnston, who is the Editor of Civil, the Civil War Monitor. It is a relatively new magazine uh, with a companion website with independent uh, content there as well. And we've been talking about the uh, the whole notion of a, a Civil War magazine here at the sesquicentennial of the Civil War here into the 21st century. Uh, about the new media, uh, electronic media. Social media, new ways to reach audiences, uh, 
it is a, a bold venture to go forth and produce a magazine at this time. But uh, the Civil War Monitor is a handsome publication, uh, one that uh, listeners, if you don't already subscribe to, you certainly want to get your get a copy and take a look at it. Uh, go to the website. Uh, Terry, what is the website, by the way? What is the address? It's uh, straightforward. It's, it's civilwarmonitor.com. So it's very straightforward. Very straightforward. Yeah, keep it, keep I like it, that. Keep it simple. Yeah. When we left off, I was asking about authors for the show, and uh, or, no, this is the show. Yours is the magazine. Uh, how do you go about uh, recruiting people to write for this? I, I, I would guess if it's with an established publication, at some point, one can pick up the phone and say, "Oh, you know, I, it's the New York Times here. You want to write for us?" Uh, right. But how did you get started, and how how did you how do you carry on? Well, it, it is easier now, as you say, than it was then. I mean, it's it's, it's always better to have something that you can uh, show people to say, you know, there's no better way to find out who we are and what we're about than to put a copy of the magazine in someone's hand. So it has gotten easier. At the start, uh, I really, and this is where my my experience with North and South came in very handy. I I was. Got out the old Rolodex, really, and it was sort of, you know, it felt like I was getting the band back together in a way, and uh, talking to old authors and seeing what they were doing, and um, that's that's really what sustained us for for the early days, um, and they were great foundational blocks because, again, the, early on and even now, we do we rely heavily, not exclusively, certainly, but heavily on professional historians, and I don't mean just academics, but um, folks who do this for a living, who are on the cutting edge of research, have great ideas, and uh, know how to express them you know, equally importantly to the popular audience. So it, it it was a bit of a challenge early on, but that's really, it goes to the territory. And uh, yeah, you're right, it, it has, um, as as we have, we're going on our two-year two year mark anniversary coming up toward the end of the summer, and it, it it does become a little bit easier to to approach some people who are might be considered, especially in the academic world, really really top notch big gun types. So, um, but we, we almost I almost almost all of the pieces in the magazine. There are some exceptions, but are, are pieces that we solicit directly. Um, occasionally, we'll have someone pitch us something and think this is great and, and go with it. But it's by and large, it's it's we think of what, you know, who we want to write, um, have write for us or, or the topic we want, and then we go find the person. One thing I recall about, uh, again, about North and South, it might be the same, is that illustrations uh, don't just show up. I guess as, as a magazine reader, you, you turn the pages, you see the great uh, color reproductions of, of paintings or... Right. Uh, artifact photographs and so on, and you just you know as a reader you just go oh you know that that's interesting, uh, but if you're an author, a, a, in some magazines the the editors ask the authors can you send us illustrations to go with your piece that will help us uh, find a way to put it in. Do, do you have your own sources of these? Do the authors provide them? How do you do that? We 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 really do our own thing. I mean it, it's. It's always great to get recommendations from authors who, again, if they are, if they have been in the trenches of research, um, especially if it's an obscure topic, and they've uh, come across archival photos and the like that are relevant and obscure, um, then 
we really rely heavily on on our authors to at least point them out to us. And but other than that, we 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 do our own photographic research. We rely heavily on, not surprisingly, places like the Library of Congress and the National Archives and other big um, uh, history historical societies. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's can be a challenge. It really can, depending on the topic. Again, I mean, you know, if, if, not surprisingly, say to illustrating an article about something um, had to happen to Gettysburg is a lot easier than, you know, doing it for some smaller uh, engagement, for instance. So, uh, but, but there, there, there are ways around those things too. So it's, um, it's another thing we want to avoid as much as possible. And again, sometimes this is a challenge running with the same imagery that you would normally see in the other magazines. Um, that was my next question. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Gettysburg may be easier, but you know, you show a piece of the cyclorama, right. but we've all seen it. Right, uh, exactly. What else can you show me? Is, is there any risk that you're just going to run out of fresh material? Well, I mean, that doesn't I mean, that doesn't go for images either, right? I mean, I, I have extended family members thinking, you know, when, when, when are the ideas going to dry up for articles? And <laughs> I, try to, you know, I try to tell them that this is, you know, we will always find something different because we're not just a Guns and Battles uh, magazine, right? Um, we're open to a pre-war, post-war uh, topics and, and social history, economic, political, and the like. So, um, yeah, I, I really don't, maybe, maybe there are actually in a way more limitations as to what kind of artwork we can use. But you know, we've already um, gone around that in certain ways. For, for instance, on our covers, we've, in several of our issues, uh, hired illustrators to to do renditions instead of putting a photograph of Sherman on our uh, cover of our issue a couple, uh, maybe a year ago. We had a great illustrator uh, illustrator do a, a, a painting of Sherman. So there are ways to make things work when you can't find exactly what you want in a photograph or an archive. Hmm. So. Thinking about authors, uh, a question I often ask people on the show is, is who they like to read. Yeah. Uh, and this would be, I guess, a, a challenge for you since if, if you're like me, when you get an interesting book, your first thought is, hmm, I should call this person and get him on the show. Right. Uh, uh, you might have the same reaction. Uh, I'd get an article out of this person. Uh, but who, who do you like to read? Well, that's a terrible question, Jerry. <laughs> because, and I, I know this, and and uh, I'm, I'm going to turn the tables on you. This is I want to use one of the answers you've given me recently when I tried to hit you up to do a end of your bookish piece. You know, the, the mm-hmm. top books as we do of a certain year, and you say said something to the effect like, "I'm two years behind in my reading," right? And it's it's true. I mean, my 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 bed stand, so to speak, is just stacked with all of these books that I need to read, that are important to read, and that I just haven't had the time to get to. So. Uh, I have no real um, uh, author, Civil War historian, who who I read regularly. Well, that's not true. I mean, uh, there are folks, and and this is a bit self-serving because some of these people are are on our editorial uh, advisory list. But Stephen Barry is one. Um, he he of the University of Georgia um, does terrific work and has done terrific work. Uh, his that most recent volume they did a compilation called Weirding the War. I thought was just really great. Um, Really, kind of pushing the boundaries of what Civil War history is. Um, uh, I, I want to read Jim McPherson's new book on the Naval War. I haven't gotten to that one yet. Um, I'm looking forward to Bill Freeling's uh, forthcoming book on on, uh, on Lincoln. 
which should be interesting. And I know Alan Gelzo, uh, his Gettysburg volume, I got to see an advanced copy of, and it's just terrific. So um, there's no one author, um, really, to, 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 to point out, but just, just always interested in, in, in reading something good when I get the chance to read. That, that's always the challenge. There's uh, uh, an academic, uh, a novel about academic life where the professors uh, play a game, I think it's called Confession or something like that, in which you uh, admit what is the most important book in the field of your specialty that you have not actually read yourself. And somebody goes too far, they're a Shakespeare person who's never read Hamlet or something. Uh, but I, I felt that way. I think I confessed in, in something uh, where, where I said I was two years behind that I hadn't yet read uh, Drew Faust's book on uh, right. uh, death in the Civil War. And after saying it, I thought, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. Right, yeah, probably not. Uh, I, I've just gone too far. But uh, but it is a challenge to keep up. You're absolutely right. There is so much uh, interesting material coming out at all points that it's uh, it's difficult to keep up. In addition to keeping up with books, the other question is, is technology that... Uh, and we, we already talked about this somewhat, but uh, when Dan Weinberg was on the show some years ago now, mm. uh, the, the owner of the, the Abraham Lincoln bookshop, right. uh, he uh, really surprised me by saying he thought the, the day of the book was about over. Uh, I, I, that did, I didn't think it would come from him. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure I agree necessarily, but... Certainly, there are people looking at uh, you know alternative forms, and you're already a hybrid magazine website production where the material is different, the approaches are different. Right. Uh, it's not just uh, uh, what we used to call in, in, in the museum world, they call it the book on the wall, where somebody makes an exhibit by just putting up panels of text. Right. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, a website that is just text on a screen, uh, take the magazine, put it on the screen, doesn't do much, but taking the unique qualities of print and website and using each in their own way is 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 a way to go at this moment. But where are we going to be in five years? Well, I mean, there's the big question, and and the way I look at it, there are really two things happening, parallel things to be to keep an eye on. One is the sesquicentennial itself. Uh, there have been a lot of people for years, and and even now, who have just been the, the ultimate pessimists about. Um, it's not going to be like the centennial, uh, the, the interest in the Civil War is, has been waning, and, and this is not going to help at all. Um, on the other, other side, the other parallel, uh, parallel um, stream is the nature of the print business. Um, what's going to happen to magazines and, and books? Uh, are, are we going to have anything to hold in our hand that doesn't have a screen in 10 years? Um, the former, really, as far as I'm concerned, the sesquicentennial, I just think it's all an expectations game. I've never, I look at this as a sort of a seed planting period. Uh, if your expectation was to see this huge new wave instantly of new Civil War enthusiasts, uh, I think you were fooling yourself all along. And I just look at it like um, we're sowing the seeds for the Civil War enthusiasts of the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Now, how, how many that's going to be, no one has a crystal ball and can know, but I, I think that we're well on our way to doing something, maybe not as big as um, Centennial, but certainly something. And 
regarding where we're going to be as an industry uh, in 5, 10, 15 years, it, again, it's, it's equally impossible to tell, but I am not nearly as pessimistic as, say, Daniel Weinberg is about the, the end, end of the book being imminent. Um, certainly some print publications like certain newspapers, not all newspapers, usually, it looks like it's basic, basically mid-sized city newspapers that are folding or cutting back, and some magazines namely the news weeklies um, and the entertainment magazines where the, the, the content, the topics they're covering, um, news and entertainment, you can really find much more easily and much more timely on the web. Uh, they might be in trouble, but there are other magazines like niche magazines, like hopefully um, the Civil War Monitor, that is offering something in such a way that it's not as easy to find um, on the web. And um, But we'll see. And, and as I said earlier, uh, we're not we're not wed to any one format. Uh, there's a reason why we're doing what we're doing now, to be sure. But we are, you know, our mantra is to be flexible, and we will go with the flow as as much as humanly possible in the coming years, and 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 go really where the people want us to go. So we'll we'll, we'll have to see. But I am not obviously uh, pessimistic. I wouldn't have gotten involved with this only <laughs> two years ago if I were. Um, so we'll see, but it's exciting. It's been a lot of fun so far, too, I must say. Um, and um, I, I am really um, interested in seeing what's going to happen. No, obviously, no one knows, but it'll be interesting to find out. Well, there, there, there is, I think, room for optimism in in selected, carefully selected areas. You have, uh, uh, as you mentioned, newspapers are, are in great trouble many places, but. Uh, if I want to know the score of the J.H. Rose High School women's soccer game last night, right. only the Greenville Daily Reflector is going to print that. The New York Times is not going to cover that. Right. Uh, so the local newspaper is still worth getting, whereas uh, anything in terms of editorial content and news that a bigger newspaper might have, I'll just get that from the web. Right. Uh, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And I, I read recently... Speaking specifically about newspapers, um, what you, confirming what you said, the small, smaller town newspapers are—I don't want to say necessarily thriving, but they—they don't seem to be, you know, close to being in danger. And the big companies like the New York Times and, and the Wall Street Journal are still, by and large, doing well. They're finding ways, by the way, with paywalls. It seems mm-hmm. successful paywalls uh, online to help buttress not through advertising but through subscriptions, um, some lost revenue on the print side. But it's the, it's the middle guys and uh, who seem to be really hurting for some reason. So yeah, it's not when people talk about the demise of print in in, in doing it in such a broad way. It, it really uh, distorts you know the the. The fine, the fine points. The, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, complexities here and subtleties. And to say that Prince and Trouble might be true, generally speaking, but then you sort of bore down into the individual cases and the individual magazines and their subjects, and you see a wide variance between who's doing well uh, and who's not. Um, well, that, that's a you know, as you say, an optimistic and, and uh, positive take on things. Maybe foolish, Jerry. I don't know. Uh, well, you would have to be optimistic, uh, again, as you said, in, in 2010 to start uh, a print magazine in this era. Uh, but as you have done by combining it with a website, it certainly uh, does fill a niche different uh, between what North and South and some of the other print magazines offer and what the journals offer, and certainly different from the vast number of sort of undifferentiated websites that, that one can 
serf to at any time dealing right. with the civil war made by anyone from uh, full-time uh, professional historians to eighth graders to right. uh, political extremists you never know what you're getting and uh because your your work does use endnotes does tell us uh who wrote it and what their sources are at least there's uh some credibility there that makes it worth spending time on right. so speaking of time we are out of it as happens too soon each week but i know our listeners will want to get hold of a copy of the Civil War Monitor. They'll want to go online to uh, civilwarmonitor.com right. and uh, take a look at the website, consider uh, buying a copy or subscribing. Uh, and, Terry, best of luck with this project. Thank you, Jerry, uh, really, not only for having me on today, but, but also for your support and encouragement over the years. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Well, I, I think there is room in the field for something like this, and I, I hope our listeners will take advantage of it. And listeners, as always... Thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network.